morning's scripture is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. It's called the Magnificat, or Song of Mary. It is the oldest Advent hymn. Uh, in the communicator's commentary, they wrote, Mary's hymn of response to the angel is the famous Magnificat, so named by the Roman church for the key word in the Latin translation of the first line of this prayer of praise offered by Mary. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's also the most passionate, the wildest, and one might also say the most revolutionary Advent hymn that has ever been sung. John Calvin begins his classic Institutes of the Christian religion with this profound sentence. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true wisdom, sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. That we have a true knowledge of God and an honest understanding of ourselves. The late Martin Lloyd-Jones often argued that one of the main indictments of the evangelical church is that we do not know God. And because we don't know God as we ought to, we don't know ourselves as we ought to. Um, and as a result, we are focused on ourselves and our happiness rather than on the glory of God. Well, Mary, at this point, has a total understanding of who God is, and she has a total understanding of who she is. And so Mary, after Elizabeth's threefold blessing that we talked about last week, breaks into praises for God for who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. So take a minute at your tables and read Luke 1, 46 through 56. Uh, you can find it on your phone. You can find it on the sermon notes. And lo and behold, it's actually in your Bible also, if you carry one of those. <clears throat> We've heard these verses so many times that we may not even fully understand how revolutionary they were. But these are probably some of the most revolutionary words ever spoken. Uh, Through Christ, the Messiah, the mighty will be brought low, <clears throat> and the humble and the lowly will be exalted. But before she goes rogue, or before she goes revolutionary, she explains who Jesus is. She calls him God, my Savior, which implies that Mary knows that she's a sinner. 
Because if she wasn't, she wouldn't need a Savior. And so she immediately calls God her Savior. None but sinners need a Savior. <clears throat> and then God's power is explicitly stated in Mary's referring to him as the Mighty One, who has done great things for me. She adds, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. In verses 49 and then verses 51. Mary further teaches that God's name is holy. His name refers to his person, the sum of his attributes, that all of God, who he is, is holy. Inside out, no one is holier than God. So when you hear these things, this doesn't sound very revolutionary. And she doesn't leave us with just these three characteristics of who Jesus is or who God is. She goes on to emphasize God's great mercy is shown upon people. His mercy is there for people. In verses 50 and 54. In addition to his mercy, Mary adds that God is the giver of good things. That all good things come from God. In verse 53. In line with this, Mary shows that God is faithful to his covenant promises in verse 54 and 55. Even though 2,000 years have elapsed since God's promises to Abraham, God has not forgotten his promises. That he hasn't forgotten his promises to us. He hasn't forgotten his promises to the nation of Israel. He hasn't forgotten his promises. That he is true to his word. What God has promised, he will fulfill. And God's covenant assures us that though we may waver, that we may slip, we may slide, God does not. And he never goes back on his promises to us. We in human beings don't fully understand that concept because we make promises on a regular basis that we don't follow through with. But God, on the other hand, never breaks his promises. He will never renege on his covenant of grace. But after that, she focuses on who God is. Then she acknowledges who she is. She re refers to the humble state of her bondservant, her bondslave. And she mentions that God has exalted those who were humble. Now, the word humble, we, it's there in our translation, most of our translations. But the word means the lowly. The ones who pretty, pretty much everybody else just ignores. The down and outers. The, the ones who have just sort of been cast aside. And that he has shown this exalted, those people. Now this is where she goes rogue. This is where she becomes revolutionary. Her words were so controversial that William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury, warned his missionaries in India to never speak these words out loud. Uh, Christians were already suspect in that country, and they were cautioned against reading verses that would be so inflammatory to the political leaders, to the hierarchy of that country. Jesus, the ultimate revolutionary, completely reverses all human values. What Mary was prophesying about her unborn child is terrifying to the establishment, whoever and wherever they are. We don't see it. Because we have so sanitized and pasteurized these verses 
And again, we don't know God, so we don't recognize that we are here to glorify him. Instead, we have a God that's there just to make us happy. But these were revolutionary words. Because the truth is that Jesus has come to reverse the normal order of things and to initiate a revolution. This is not the gentle, tender Mary we often see portrayed in paintings. The Mary who's speaking here is passionate, carried away, proud, enthusiastic about who she is in Christ. And sometimes we forget, remember last week she just traveled 100 miles to go see Elizabeth, a four to five day journey. This isn't somebody who's just sort of, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I can do this. She's, she's okay, if this is what God wants, I'm going to do it. He commands it, I'm there. Um, so this is a hard, strong, relentless hymn about the toppling of the thrones and the humiliation of the lords of the world and about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. Mary describes these people that God's going to topple as proud in thoughts of their heart. And pride is that original sin that brought Satan down. <coughs> Uh, and he appealed to Eve's pride that she could be like God. And from that day forward, pride and power have been two of the main things that humans have strived for. In fact, I will tell you, 99.9% um, of all human conflict are issues of power and control. Now, normally I say 100%, but I always like to give myself at least some margin of error. <laughs> no, 1%, 1 1%, 99.1, tenth of 1%. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> For those of you who are visiting, this normally doesn't happen. People never talk back to me. pride that is going on and it's hard for us sometimes to see it in ourselves because if we don't know God as we ought to we won't know ourselves as we ought to and we become masters of self-deception so they are rulers whom he has brought down from their thrones in verse 52 like Nebuchadnezzar they do not realize that it is God who is the ruler over the realm of mankind he is the ruler over all of humanity and bestows it upon whom he wishes. Finally, those under God's judgment are plentiful in worldly goods, but poor before God. In verse 53, those who receive God's mercy may be blessed with material goods, but the purpose of their material goods is to use for a blessing to others. They are good stewards of what God has given us. Versus those under God's judgment, who disregard the Lord's ownership and squander their wealth on their own pleasures and their own desires and on their own selfishness, and they use it to exert their own power. And God says, I will bring them down. I will bring them down. And this is what Mary's telling them in these words. Now, if you were the political leader at that point, how, 
how nice are these words going to be if you heard? If you are a Christian in the United States, how comfortable are these words when we really understand what the Advent message is? <coughs> but there's more. How many have heard of Boys Town? Okay, most have heard of Boys Town. If you hadn't heard of Boys Town, take a look at the hand that was raised and ask them, what's Boys Town? Um, but when Mother Teresa was interviewed about her visit to Boys Town, they wanted to know what her reaction was, or what she thought about it. And she responded, they showed me all over the grounds of Boys Town. The dormitories, the classrooms, the gymnasium, the dining hall, and it all is beautiful. It's wonderful the way they could take care of the, these kids. But at the end of the tour, she turned to the head priest and said, you have all this, but do you really love them? Do you really love them? And that was the revolution. That's the revolution of Advent. Jesus loves us. This is the strategy of this ultimate social revolution. That it's God's love impacting people's lives. And God of the impossible is leading his people into this revolution. It's not one power base trying to take down another power base. It's not the rich trying to compete who's going to be the richest. It is somebody saying, no. It's about love. It's about God's love coming to us. So Mary's song is a song about love and justice for all. It is, as I said, a rebel song, which is nothing new in the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, prophets proclaim the same message, that God cares for all people, but has a special interest in the poor, the weak, the alien, the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the lame, the sick, the down and outer. She then speaks about God coming into the world, about the advent of Jesus Christ. And she, of course, knows this better than anyone else, what it means to wait for Christ's coming. Her waiting is different from every other human being. She expects them as a mother. But she knows the secret of his coming. <clears throat> she knows about the spirit who has visited her who's had a part in all of this, about the Almighty God who has performed this miracle. And she has firsthand experience that God does not operate or move based on our opinions, our views, and he does not follow our plans. And when we understand who God is, we have a better understanding of who we are. See, God's plan is free from human manipulation, it's free from human demands, and it's original beyond all our ability to understand or to prove, and that's exactly where God wants us. The last sermon I'm going to preach is multiple choice. It is my favorite sermon, I've preached it before, and if I get, ever get asked to go speak anywhere after I'm retired, I'm going to preach just that sermon. Um, because the truth of it is that God loves to surprise us with option D. After we've gone through all of our agendas of how God should work, God says, none of the above. Let me show you what I'm going to do. 
And that's the beauty of God. The hard part for us is to believe in God's option and to wait for that option. So she has firsthand experience that God does not operate or move based on our opinions. Though his way is confounding, though his way is many times impossible to prove, and at that point people will argue, they will fight, they will do whatever they can to question God's truth in order that they don't have to surrender to it. And so whether or not they accept it doesn't matter. God is still in charge. And it is the humble who believe and rejoice that God is free to move as he pleases, performing miracles where humanity despairs and glorifying that which is lowly and of no account. Glorifying those that are lowly and of no account. For this is the miracle of all miracles. God loves the lowly. God loves the rich. God loves all people. But there's a tendency among people to only think that God loves the people that are like them instead of liking all people. So God loving the ordinary and the humble, those who are others marginalized, that is the revolutionary passionate word of Advent. And that would have upset the religious establishment and the political order because that love is what topples the powerful. And it begins with Mary herself, just this simple wife of a carpenter. Um, unremarkable and lowly in most people's eyes, just an average person, looked over by most. And yet God chose her to be the mother of the Savior of the world. God chooses someone as an instrument of his grace and performs a miracle right there where it was least expected. We would not expect that today. If somebody said, there's this middle class girl, family is of no count, they have no, you know, no real religious standing or no education or anything, and she is going to be the mother of Jesus, which one of us would have thought, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. See, God chooses that which we don't. What people say is lost, God says it's found. What people say is condemned, God says is forgiven and saved. Where people say no, God says yes. Where, where people turn their eyes away out of indifference or arrogance, God looks with love and acceptance. If you've ever made a profession of faith, if you've recognized in your own life your own sin, and you've repented, and you've asked for forgiveness, and you've turned your life over to Christ, think back at that point in your life where you were completely ashamed of yourself, where you recognized how far you were away from Christ, how far you had fallen short, 
and that probably at that point you even believed that God had turned his back on you because you knew you had turned your back on God. And when you felt as far away from God as you could possibly feel, that's when God was closest to you. That's when God was closest to you. Um, waiting to break into your life, wanting you to feel his presence, wanting you to grasp the miracle of love, wanting you to grasp the miracle of his grace and his forgiveness, of his nearness and of his grace. That's the love that God wants all of us to experience. And even as believers, some of us may still be living that way. With the same shame, the same guilt, the same hurt, the same feelings. And we are ashamed to look at God because we know that we have failed. And that is when God is the closest to us. And that's the miracle of a baby born in a manger. Waiting to break into our life. Wanting us to feel his grasp, his presence, and to grasp the miracle of his love. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, sings Mary joyfully. What does it mean to call her blessed? Mary, the lowly maidservant? To call Mary blessed does not mean to worship her, but rather it means to worship with her the God, the God who regards and chooses the lowly, the God who chooses each one of us, who has done great things for me in his holy name. For us to be able to look to God and worship him and say for the great things he has done in each of our lives. The problem is, do we spend time thinking about the great things God has done in our life? Do we think about the times that we can just celebrate all that God has done and we can be here doing that, singing praises, singing hallelujah. That was just beautiful. Um, and being able to do that. And then as soon as we leave here, within 15 minutes, we lose it. We start going back to what's good for me, what's enjoyable for me. See, when God chooses Mary, when God decides to come in human form, into this world, in the manger in Bethlehem, is the beginning of a complete reversal, a new ordering of all things on this earth. And what is that reversal? This new order that is happening in the manger, the judgment and the redemption of the world. That is what's happening here in the manger. For it is the Christ child in the manger himself who will bring judgment and redemption. It is he who brings down the great and mighty of this world, who overthrows the thrones of the powerful, who humbles the proud and arrogant, whose arm exercises judgment against all who oppose him and oppress others, and whose mercy lifts us up what was lowly and makes it great and glorious. And then note God's condemnation on these people. God scatters the proud, brings down the rulers, and sends the rich away empty-handed. Frightening words. Because God does not just neglect those people. He actively scatters them, brings them down, and sends them away. Um, so we cannot come to see the manger in the same way as we would approach 
any other crib, any other crib of any other child. Something will happen to each of us who decides to come to Christ's manger. Because of all the other thrones, Christ's throne was a manger. And as he's toppling down all these other thrones, Christ is in this manger, and that's his throne. And for those who are great and powerful in this world, those who don't think they need to bow before Christ, there are two places, and we sang it in the first song, where their courage fails them, which terrifies them to the very depths of their soul, and which they clearly avoid. They are the manger and the cross. No one who holds power dares to come near the manger or the cross. King Herod would not go. But instead, he sent others to kill babies. They sent others to hang Jesus on the cross. Rulers could not go and see that. And that's where each and every ruler cannot go. For it is here that the powerful fall down, and those who are high are brought low, because God is here with the lowly. In ten days we're going to celebrate Christmas. But before that, there's something we must clear up, something that's important for each one of our lives. We make, need to make clear to ourselves how, from now on, in the light of the manger, what does it really mean to celebrate Christmas? It's as important for Christian to come up, to come to understand this point. Who among us will celebrate Christmas rightly? Who will finally lay down at the manger all power, all ego, all pride, all vanity, all arrogance, and all self-will? Who will take their place among the lowly and let God alone be exalted on high? Who will see the glory of God in the lowliness of a child in a manger. Who will say with Mary, the Lord has looked on me with favor on my loneliness. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Amen. D.L. Moody said, Christ sends none away empty but those who are full of themselves. It's time to empty ourselves at the manger and say, he's my king. He's my king. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to celebrate your birth and to fully understand that scriptures that we may read today seem so sanitized. Not recognizing that the first time those words were spoken, lives were immediately put in danger. And even to this day, speaking those words in certain place are just revolutionary. Because Jesus goes into every, every power base and turns that order upside down. So whether it be individuals who are holding on to their own power, countries that are holding on to their own power, political systems that are holding on to their power, and power bases fighting power bases, 
we recognize that it is only Christ that truly topples down those power bases. And so we lift up this season, Lord, that we may truly experience the fullness of who you are. That we may understand what it means to bow down to you in your, at your throne. And to continue to proclaim your truth and to allow our lives to be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit and your truth. We ask these things in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen.